This morning we are uh, continuing our series on gospel habits. Uh, so we're thinking about habits, habits and practices that are rooted in and fueled by the power of the gospel. Um, if you've connected with us in this series, you'll know that we began by thinking about what it means to have courageous faith. Courageous faith. We thought about how courageous faith is a faith in God and a belief that he is for us and that God is going to lead us in all seasons and circumstances of life. And we recognise that our faith is head and heart, it's internal, but it's also our hands, our feet, our mouth and our actions. Then following on from that, we look together at this idea of empowered love. Empowered love. We thought about the fact that before we can ever love in a way that, that pleases God, that finds satisfaction in God, we must first be empowered and fueled by God's love for us. So we look upwards before we look outwards. It's only when we come to terms with God's love towards us, that we can then love others. And then last week, Andrew delved into the gospel habit of joyful service. And Andrew looked at how our service to God and to one another should be joyful because it shows gratitude to, to Jesus, because it fulfills the will of Jesus, and because it points us and others towards the character of Christ. So these are the areas we've looked at so far. Uh, and we have four, maybe five, more gospel habits to look at together. And I say maybe five because there's another one that's just came to mind. Uh, I don't mean right now, I mean over the last few weeks another one's uh, came to mind. So we'll see how God leads us uh, within that. Just to reinforce what we've already said in this series, we're looking at this series and we're thinking about gospel habits. It's gospel habits. We're not looking at Christian habits. Um, we're not looking at these areas as activities and actions which are part of a Christian life because people have always done them or because they're part of a long tradition that's been passed down to us. So we're not Christian habits. We're also not looking at insert your name here habits. Um, these are not my habits, they're not your habits, they're not our habits. Uh, they're not practices that you or I carry out or should carry out because there's something special within us, either individually or collectively. And we're not even looking at DBC habits. Um, I don't want you to think that we, as a church family, are the only ones who are getting it right within the city. Um, notice I've just assumed that we are getting it right. Um, but sometimes we are, but I don't think we're getting it right as a church all the time. We always fall short in different ways. We are sinners, so we do make mistakes. We do not live according to the standard that God has set for us. Uh, don't ever think that we found some kind of magic formula at DBC, which means that we are the only church in the city it's all out for Jesus. That's just nonsense. Um, we're not living for the kingdom of DBC. Uh, we're living under God's rule and reign. And we're trying to be faithful. Just as to give you a few examples. Hope Community Church in Barlanock are trying to be faithful. Or Parkhead Nazarene are trying to be faithful. Or the guys at Gateway Church in Bridgeton are trying to be faithful. Or just as the Tron Church in Bath Street are trying to be faithful. Or Glasgow City Church in Cathedral Street are trying to be faithful. Or Glasgow Grace Church are trying to be faithful. And that's just to mention a small number of churches within this vicinity that are seeking to honour and love God with all that they are. No, so these habits are nothing to do with us as a church, for nothing to do with us as individuals, for nothing to do with a tradition that we've always had. Instead, understand this morning that these are areas we're looking at over the summer as, and we need to understand them as gospel habits. Gospel is the emphasis. When we're in the word more and more, we will know the gospel more and more. And when we know the gospel more and more, we live the gospel out more and more. Meaning that these habits will flow out of our lives. As we are empowered by the Spirit of God, 
who dwells within us. The more and more we are in God's word, if we have the spirit of God within us, these gospel habits will just flow out of who we are as individuals. It'll be very much organic. And this has huge implications for us. As we've said every week, we cannot take credit for any of us. We can't pat ourselves on the back and say that we're doing a great job. Nor can we beat ourselves up when we feel we're not living these habits out. We don't need to experience despair because God's grace is there for us to help us and to pick us up in these times. These habits are all of grace and it is God's grace, it is by God's grace that we are able to be faithful and fruitful for him. So that's really just a foundation for us as we come to think about our focus today, which is total forgiveness, total forgiveness. So a nice, light, easy subject for us to be thinking about this morning. Um, To do this, I want to take time to focus on two passages. The first one is Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. So turn with me to this passage. Um, The words are going to be up on the screen for us. So I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Paul writes these words for us. Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And if we go back a wee bit to Ephesians 4 and verses 25 to 32, again the Apostle Paul, and again he says something similar within this passage. So Ephesians 4, 25, Therefore putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbour, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he has to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So, as I said, the subject today is total forgiveness. Not just any kind of forgiveness, but total forgiveness, complete forgiveness. Now, immediately, that might trigger something in your mind. You may or you may not have heard that phrase before. And we're not taking credit for that phrase this morning. It's taken from a book written by a former minister of Westminster Chapel, a guy called R.T. Kendall. And R.T. Kendall learnt this idea of total forgiveness uh, during what he describes as one of the most difficult seasons of his life in the middle of his 25 years at Westminster Chapel. And it involved some individuals causing him great harm and heartache within his life. He was overwhelmed with pain, with the pain of what they had done to him, experienced so much hurt from these individuals. And he was in the middle of a storm. And as he was, he met a a Romanian pastor, a friend of his, a guy called Joseph, who was in London for the weekend. And in confidence, Kendall told his Romanian friend, Joseph, all that had happened to him, all that he had been through, All that these individuals in the church had inflicted upon his life and upon his family. Joseph then asked him, is that everything? And R.T. said, sheepishly, yes. And Kendall said that what his friend said to him next was without question 
the defining moment of his ministry at Westminster Chapel. If he could summarize 25 years of ministry in 15 minutes, it would be what followed. What it is that Joseph said to him. And I've, I've written it up in the screen for us. So Joseph said this to R.T. Kendall. R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. R.T. did not want to hear us. And he remembered a few more things that had been done to him by these people. And so he said to Joseph, Joseph, here's some other things that have happened to me. And just as R.T. was about to download this new information to Joseph, he interrupted R.T. and he again said these words, R.T., you must totally forgive them. But until you totally forgive them, you'll be in chains. Release them and you'll be released. These words changed R.T. Kendall's life and it became a main focal point of his ministry, resulting in many lives being changed, not just at Westminster Chapel, but throughout the world. I wonder this morning, does this statement not ring true in your heart this morning? Is it not true that you are in chains when you choose not to forgive? When you carry an unforgiving heart? And is it not also true that you are released when you release, when you let go of the bitterness and the anger and the hatred towards a person or persons who have done you harm? I wonder if you could put your name at the start of a sentence this morning. I wonder if you could take a moment to preach that sentence to yourself, to your own heart. For me, it sounds like this. Mark, you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you'll be in chains. Release them and you'll be released. I wonder if you can do that as well. What Joseph said to RT all those years ago is, of course, rooted in God's word. And in our two passages this morning, Paul says the same phrase in Colossians 3.13 and in Ephesians 4.32. We read, forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. So when we talk about total forgiveness and what that looks like within our lives, this is what we're talking about. Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3 verse 13. There is a model of forgiveness here, a model that we so often ignore within our lives, a model that if we're honest, we so often do not understand or we choose not to understand, we choose to ignore this, what God's forgiveness looks like for our own lives, which means that we can get away from not forgiving of our people. There's a reason why this is a gospel habit. We see total forgiveness in our lives when we come to terms with this incredible truth of the gospel. In fact, there's no other example of total forgiveness in our world apart from this one. All examples of total forgiveness stem from this reality of what Christ has done for us. Total forgiveness is a window into God's heart for you and for me, and it's a door which we can walk through in the power of his spirit, not in your own strength. Don't try and do that. We so often try and do that. But in God's power, in God's strength, we can totally forgive and we can walk that pathway every single day. It's not a one-off moment. It's a lifestyle. It's a habit. It's who we are as people. So we're going to do two, two things this morning. We're going to look together at the nature of God's forgiveness towards each one of us. And then after that, we're going to examine how it is that God's forgiveness both calls and enables us to totally forgive those who have hurt us and harmed us, including those who are completely oblivious to the fact that they have caused us pain and hardship. That's one of the most difficult things about forgiveness. Sometimes people hurt us and they've got no idea what they've done. And we carry this in our hearts for days, weeks, months, sometimes even years. 
sometimes decades. Let's begin by asking this question. What is the nature of God's forgiveness? Because this is how we understand who it is that God calls us to be. We need to start with what God has done for us vertically before we can horizontally then live this life. Both these passages say, forgive as God has forgiven you. In what way has God forgiven you and me? Well, the first point I want to share is this. Uh, God's forgiveness is total in the sense that it covers all sin. So God's forgiveness is total in that it covers all sin. Apart from one, apart from one, in Matthew 12, in verses 31 to 32, Jesus speaks these words. He writes this, Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the one to come. Now, deep breath this morning. Don't let this passage be a stumbling block to you. Don't let it trouble you if you already love and follow Jesus. The biblical understanding of this passage, what the commentators, or most of them would agree, is that a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a rejection of the Holy Spirit. And to reject the Holy Spirit is a rejection of the gift of God's Spirit, which, when we get to the root of it, is a rejection of God's offer of salvation. In other words, you will not be forgiven of your sins. You will not be in relationship with the God who loves you and who came to rescue you if you live in unrepentant and unbelieving sin. This is what the passage is talking about. You're basically saying, God, I don't need you to save me. I can save myself. Which is what most of the world says, most of Deniston and Glasgow would say. And it results in an eternity, a life beyond this one, completely separate from God. What the Bible describes as hell. This is a destination for everyone who does not believe that Jesus is Lord of our life. But for everyone who sees our sin, for everyone who's convicted by their sin, for everyone who turns to Jesus to free them from their sin, God offers them total forgiveness. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30, the famous words from Christ, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's just drink those words in this morning. Let's just receive that. God's yoke is easy. His burden is light. The burden of sin that we carry, we can give to Christ because of what he's done for us on the cross. Amen? Can't see any smiles because of your face mask, but let's just hold on to these amazing truths. Uh, we have a God who didn't, just, who didn't just create us, but who in love wants to help us with our sin problem. And make no mistake about it, every single person in this room, every person watching online has a sin problem. It doesn't matter how often you've sinned or how badly you've sinned, God in Christ will wipe our slate clean. Look at what we read from the prophet Micah in chapter 7. Micah 7 and in verses 18 to 19, Micah says this, or God speaking through Micah. Who is a God like you? It's Micah the prophet speaking. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It doesn't say some of our sins. It says all of our sins. All our sin. 
is cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Are you getting that this morning? Is the Spirit planting this gospel reality in your heart this morning? Do you honestly believe what God's word says this morning? All of your sin, not some of your sin, is forgiven. All of your sin, all of my sin. Maybe you can think of one or two things that have happened in the past that mean that your peace and joy have been robbed because deep down, even though you wouldn't ever verbalize this to yourself or to someone else, you believe a lie that God cannot forgive and God has not forgiven something that you have done, something that you've done wrong, this particular sin. That God's word doesn't lie. Don't believe the word of your mind, the word of your flesh. Believe the word of God. As it says in our passage in Micah, he really has forgiven all of your sin. Through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he really has made it possible for you to live in freedom both today and in the future. So that's the first point. And this brings us on to our next point about how it is that God has forgiven us. God's forgiveness is total and it covers all time. It covers all time. It covers all of our time, meaning his forgiveness is permanent. It's eternal. The forgiveness of God never ends. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he declared, it is finished. It's finished. Your sin is gone. There's no caveats. There's no footnotes. There's no conditions. It is gone. Paul writes in Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. This is good news. He died for all time, for all of our sin. When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, there's never a point where you're not living under the shadow of his forgiveness. His forgiveness covers all of your time here on earth and it covers all of your time beyond your time here on earth. God's forgiveness means that you will live in freedom today and it means you'll one day be with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. Praise God for this. Take a moment to look at what Jesus says in John 6 and in verse 35. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So Jesus wants us to understand from his words, there's never going to be a point when you're going to experience spiritual hunger or spiritual thirst, spiritual starvation really. In other words, there will never be a time when we'll find ourselves being back in a state of unforgiveness. I hope we see this from these words of Jesus, but just in case you're still doubting what it says, look at how Jesus reinforces this. And a few verses later in verse 37 to 39, Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. I mean, it's emphatic. He'll never cast out. God will never cast us out. In other words, God will always keep us in that perfect place of forgiveness. Jesus continues, have a look at verses 38 to 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Jesus will lose none. He will not lose one of those who have been given to him by God the Father. You know, I'll be honest, I struggle to find a more reassuring word than what Jesus has just said there in John 6. Your forgiveness is permanent. Your forgiveness is eternal. And it's not because of anything that you have done. It's not like you're keeping up as good standards so that God continues to forgive you. But it's because of what he has done for you. 
And what he has done for you is finished. Yesterday we were working in a space in Ridry, and we have, we've had this, basically it's been a, a thorn in the flesh over the last few weeks. We've been removing these thin wooden slates from the walls and the ceiling of the, the manse area. I think it's laughing plaster it's called. Um, and on Thursday we hired two large skips to remove all the rubbish we've accumulated, including these thin wooden slates. And we were singing God's praise as we're putting these into the skip. And it's been an absolute joy to throw these little bits of stick into the skip. And even more joyful for us is the fact we're never going to see them again. Now, we know that when skips get collected, we can wave goodbye to thousands of these bits of wood that we've taken from the walls and from the ceiling. And none of us... None of us have any concern that the waste company that we hired the skips from will then next week or next month or next year or any time in the near or distant future turn up with these little bits of wood again. These little bits of wood that we get rid of and then dump them in the church garden. Now, that would be silly. That would be ridiculous. We know that when we put them in a the skip, they're gone. Finito. For, forever to be forgotten about. We don't need to focus on these wooden bits ever again in our entire lives, God willing. And yet, amazingly, we have more faith in a Glasgow waste removal company to do what they need to do than we do of our Saviour Jesus when it comes to our sin. We start to doubt whether God has really forgiven us permanently, eternally. We think at some stage in our lives, after God has forgiven us, then he'll choose not to forgive us for something we've done in the past. That our junk will start coming back but it's nonsense. It's a demonic lie. Take stock of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103 and in verses 10 to 13. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen. So may we know that God's forgiveness of us is rooted in this reality that our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west. This is terrible. Our sins are, are that far away, as far as the east is from the west. And this brings us on to our final point about God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is total in that it covers all life. It covers all life. In other words, when you come to terms with the forgiveness of God, when his forgiveness is in your life, you will be changed and transformed by this. Have a look at Psalm 32. David writes his words in verses 1 to 2. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So when our transgression is forgiven by God, when our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, when our iniquity does not face a charge because someone else has taken the charge onto themselves, when there is no deceit in our spirit, that is, when we come to God with an openness and a transparency about who we are and what we have done, then David the psalmist says something happens to us. We're changed by God. We're no longer the same person. And instead of guilt, there's joy. Instead of guilt, there's joy. When you understand that you've been forgiven, you replace your guilt and shame with joy and peace. Incredible. We no longer look down and into our sin-marred lives. Instead, we look out and up to 
of the God who has forgiven us. He's liberating for us. We're changed by this. We should be changed by this. It makes sense, does it not? If we really are forgiven, we really will be joyful in our lives. And I sent this photo on WhatsApp before. It's a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. And I just love this. It's a a picture of a a receipt. And it just gives you a, a really helpful picture of all that Christ has done for us. So the heading is, Jesus paid it all. Paid it all. Sin, paid. Shame, paid. Pain, paid. Past mistakes, paid. Rejection and loneliness, paid. Slavery to sin, paid. Spiritual death, paid. Amount due, nothing. Change, nothing. Subtotal, nothing. Grand total, absolutely nothing. Terms and conditions. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans six twenty three. You know, when this is a picture of your life, the predominant expression of your heart can only ever be one of joy. What else could it be when you really do come to terms with what it is that God has done for you? Take hold of this amazing reality of Isaiah 1, 18. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this, Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. And as I read these words, I'm immediately reminded of our favourite hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as as snow. We are completely transformed and changed by God's forgiveness. And it results in joy. Amen. In the musical, The Miserable, Jean Valjean is this convict in Paris and he's just served 19 years of hard labour for stealing some bread. When he's released on parole, he's this bitter and angry man and in the middle of his turmoil, he's invited to the home of a bishop who offers him a hot meal and a bed for the night. And Valjean is not used to this act of kindness and during the night, he gets up in a panic and he collects all of the valuable silver he can find in the bishop's house and he runs away. And he says this, or he sings this, Take an eye for an eye, turn your heart into stone. This is all I have lived for, this is all I have known. And not surprisingly, Valjean is arrested by the police. He's returned to the bishop, who they expect will confirm his crime and condemn him to prison. But amazingly, the bishop instead tells the officer that he gave Valjean the silver. And he rebukes Valjean for forgetting the best in the house. A pair of large silver candlesticks from the dinner table. The bishop thanks the policeman for being so vigilant, but he insists they are no longer needed, and he walks them out of the house. And Valjean said, Valjean and the bishop are alone, and it's here that the bishop says to Valjean, Now remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan. He wants Valjean to see a divine hand in this unexpected act of mercy. The bishop wants Valjean to be transformed by this act of and this message sticks with Valjean through the, the rest of the, the film or musical. Valjean is transformed by this. Through what he learns from, bi- from the bishop, Valjean starts to carry compassion and faith and forgiveness within his life. His life is changed by the bishop's act of kindness and forgiveness. And when you see God's kindness and that he forgave you of all of your sin, you will be changed by it. It's a guarantee. You will become a new creation. The old life will go the new life will come 
it will result in a joy like you've never had before. So understand this morning that God's forgiveness really is total. It's total and it covers all sin, it covers all time, and it covers all of our lives. So how can we therefore respond to this kind of forgiveness with unforgiveness towards other people in our lives? With forgiveness, sorry, towards other people in our lives. Um, it makes no sense, spiritually speaking, when you think about it. If we say that we have re- received God's total forgiveness, how can we then not totally forgive other people in our lives and the power and in the strength that God gives to us? In fact, this would in fact demonstrate that we've not fully received or come to terms with God's total forgiveness. If you recognise God has forgiven you and yet you choose not to forgive, shows that you haven't really understood understood this bit. And this is not me saying that. Jesus says this. Have a look at Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Jesus says these words. For if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. As Paul writes in our passage this morning, forgive as God has forgiven you. As the bishop shows compassion to Valjean, Valjean shows compassion to others. As God has shown total forgiveness to you, you show total forgiveness to other people. I recognise that's not easy for us. But as we close, let me just ask this question. Once we have understood what total forgiveness looks like, in terms of how God has demonstrated that towards us, all that we just looked at, how does this manifest itself towards others? How is it that we can apply this reality of total forgiveness towards those who have hurt and harmed us? I want to just give you four pointers towards total forgiveness. When it comes to those who, has, who have caused us harm, irrespective of whether or not they're aware of the hurt and pain they've caused us. So the first point I want to make, as we think about this application to our lives, this habit God's called us to live, number one, you must forgive prayerfully. You must forgive prayerfully. So I hope this is obvious, but I'm aware of the fact this might not be for a whole host of different reasons. There's no possible way that you can forgive other people unless you're living in and relying on the Spirit of God. It's impossible. In fact, you cannot forgive completely, permanently, and practically at all, the the other three points we're going to look at, until you're first seeking God's face and you're asking Him for the power to forgive in your moment of need. There's nothing in you that will forgive someone else, so don't try it. It's a complete waste of time. Mark in his flesh does not want to show love and compassion towards other people. He wants to get revenge. He wants to get even. And it's the same way with you as well. Jesus says in John 6, 6-3, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. There's nothing in us. The flesh doesn't help when it comes to forgiveness. Only the Spirit. Corrie ten Boom was, along with most of her family, arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis in World War II, and she faced the pain and the turmoil of living in a concentration camp. And she tells a story of forgiveness. It's testimony of a testimony. She was sharing her story at a church in Munich in 1947. And at the close of his service, she was approached by a man in a grey overcoat. And she knew this man well. She froze. This man had been one of the most vicious guards at Ravenkrupp concentration camp. And she remembered how he would mock the female prisoners as they showered. And Corrie ten Boom says this. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights 
the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking past, walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out and saying, a fine message for Lane. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corrie ten Boom continues. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook. Rather than take the hand, he would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the lever cropped swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He mentioned Ravensbrook in the talk he was saying. I was a guard there. Since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? Corrie ten Boom said this, and I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her so terrible death simply for the asking? I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply your healing. And she thrust out her hand and she shares. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raised down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of prayer and forgiveness. It is this way and no other way that we can forgive those who have hurt us. So we must forgive prayerfully. Number two, we must forgive completely. Just like we can so often think that God will only forgive some of our sins, we are guilty of forgiving others for only some of the things that they've done to us. And we show unforgiveness towards the other things. Have a look at Peter's question and Jesus' response in Matthew 18, 21 to 23. If you read these words in Matthew 18, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So the commonly accepted rabbinical practice in Jesus' day and within that culture was to forgive someone who had hurt you or sinned against you three times. And so Peter actually thinks he's been quite smart here. He thinks, I'll double it and then add one. And I'm going to really impress Jesus here. And it's not that Jesus here is saying we should forgive someone 490 times, 70 times seven. Like we would be able to keep a record of exactly the number of times that someone has hurt us. No, Jesus is underlining that there should be no limit to our forgiveness, just like there's no limit toward, to God's forgiveness towards us. We should forgive others completely in all of the different ways that they hurt and harm us. For as much as someone might have sinned multiple times against us, we have sinned on many more occasions against God himself, and yet he continues to show unfailing love towards us through forgiveness. So we forgive completely, number two. And number three, we forgive permanently. We forgive permanently. 
So forgiveness is a decision we make, but it's also a process. We need to keep forgiving the person. We continually bring him before the throne of grace and we ask that God would change our heart towards him and that God would change them in the power of his spirit. It's an ongoing journey that we take and not a one-off moment. And it's important we live a lifestyle of forgiveness because there's massive spiritual consequences for the person who lives in unforgiveness. Let me just take you back to Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. So you can't get any clearer than these words of Jesus here. The unforgiving person has never really come to terms with God's forgiveness towards him. In effect, he has not received this gift of eternal life. If God has forgiven you permanently, then we must forgive others permanently. And the power that he grants us. That's the third point. And finally, number four, you must forgive practically. You must forgive practically. You know, I know someone, don't worry, it's nobody here, who says on a regular basis, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven her. But their actions show the exact opposite of what their words express. So they verbalise, I've forgiven this person, I've forgiven that person. But there's no outward evidence with their actions. And it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we have forgiven someone. And yet there's no concrete evidence that points towards the fact that we actually have. As Corrie Ten Boom reached out to his prison guard... In what ways do you need to reach out to those you say you have forgiven? So it's easy to say it, but have you actually done it? Have you reached out? In what ways do you need to reach out to those you recognise you need to forgive but haven't yet done so? Forgiveness is practical. We speak graciously. We act lovingly in ways which leave no room for doubt about our forgiveness. So take note of what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 21. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So a simple question for you as we close. In what ways can you practically demonstrate your forgiveness towards your transgressors? Now, just recognise this as well. It might not be appropriate for you to make contact with the person who sinned against you. We understand that. Or maybe it would just be a bit weird for you to make contact. But the reality is you can still pray for that person. You can ask that God would bless them and that God would change them. It's only when you come to terms with God's forgiveness towards you that you'll be able to carry forgiveness in your heart towards them. So as we close, we're just going to create some space for us uh, this morning. I recognise this is a heavy subject for us to look at, but it's such an important one and it is a life-changing one as well. When you carry forgiveness total forgiveness, your life will be transformed. And we're going to take some time now to, to sing to God. We're going to take a moment to ask God for forgiveness and to ask that God would give us the power to also forgive our people in our lives. So we invite you this morning to come to the table, if you have faith in Christ, to come to this table and to recognise that this is a table of total forgiveness. God has totally forgiven us because of what he has done for us on the cross. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. We come to this table and we have joy because God has totally forgiven us. But we carry reverence 
for all that God has done for us. And we have a fear of God to live in a manner that glorifies him as we go into the rest of this week. If you need prayer as well, uh, then do speak to, to myself or to someone you have confidence in after the service. This might be you making a decision this morning to follow Christ. Maybe you're watching online. Contact us directly. Uh, maybe you're here in person. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ, you can do that today. We would love to pray with you in that moment. And we have 100% confidence that God will change your life. Or maybe you're just struggling with this idea of forgiveness and you recognise that you need prayer. Point number one, forgive prayerfully. So maybe you need some prayer. So do contact us, connect with us, either in person or online, if you need prayer for that. So let's pray together as we now respond and worship and as we recognise all that God is for us, all that he has done for us and all that he is calling us to be. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we recognise that this is a, these are difficult passages and subjects to look at. But Lord, we pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change our perspective. I pray that you would uh, move us away from our perspective in the flesh and move us towards our perspective that is immersed and surrounded by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see the extent of your love towards us and the fact that you're forgiven us. And may we be equipped and the power of your spirit to then live a life of total forgiveness. Would you speak to us? Would you work in and through this time? As we now sing, as we come to this table, and as we have conversations and times of prayer after our, our time today, we ask all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>